When I served, my work was critical, and I don't feel like that's the case anymore. I lost all of my friends when I got out. Had to start my whole life over. I didn't know what to do each day. Then my marriage hit a real rough patch. It got so bad that I was even thinking about suicide. I called the Veterans Crisis Line. I tell my buddies to call in case they ever need it. When I retired, things slowed way down and lots of bad memories came back. I still go through tough times, but I'm glad I called. You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. The person on the other end of the line isn't going to judge. Lots of responders are veterans too. We all need to take care of ourselves. If you're going through a rough time, call the Veterans Crisis Line. Hello and welcome again to Oscar Mike Radio. Oscar Mike Radio is part of the Hubazoo Network with production assistance from Sinister One Productions. You can find out more on hubazoo.com. And I am thankful for my sponsors, Joyce Asak of Asak Real Estate, Mark Holmes of Reaper Detailing and Power Washing, and my supporters, Simper Savage Salad Dressing, Bottom Gun Coffee, and Quezon Shaving Company. Thank you all so much. I'm your host, Travis, and as we count down to 300, I am pleased to have a super cool veteran who I got to meet in Tennessee in April. David, welcome to Oscar Mike Radio. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And hold on. Get to my Oscar Mike uh, cup. cup Look at that, folks. The Oscar Mike Radio Cup from Trophy King in New Jersey. (laughs) Jim, thank you very much. Jim Ramsey, the owner. This is just a special day. So we're sitting here, you know, during lunch, and we're talking and going to talk about cooking because David is a veteran who now has a cooking show, but we're going to get some history first. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your military experience, man, and how you got in the military and what that was like? Um, You know, where I come from, I grew up in New York City, Um, and where I come from, you either became a police officer or a firefighter. People didn't talk about joining the military. It was the furthest thing from our mind um, growing up. Uh, But I left home when I was 15. I lived on the streets in New York and I struggled a lot. I had a guidance counselor who, when I got into high school, uh, she was on me like all the time. Like you gotta do better. You gotta get your life together. Um, So she helped me get into college. And then when I couldn't get money for college, she recommended joining the military as a way to get money. And I went, if you've never been to New York City, a lot of people don't know this. So there's that building on 42nd Street, the flag building, everybody calls it. That's actually a recruiting station. Um, And all the recruits from all the different branches of service actually sit in one room together. And so when I went down there, I actually thought about joining the Marines because I liked their uniform. I didn't know anything about the military. I liked their uniform. Uh, but he was on lunch and the army guy was like, oh, we could do better than the Marines. And I didn't really know the difference. So I was like, all right, whatever, sign me up. I don't really care. Um, so I joined the army uh, in 89. Um, I've been deployed quite a bit. Actually, when I first joined, I, I was signed up as a reservist. 
okay. and then switched to active duty while I was in basic training. Because um, my drill sergeant convinced me that active duty would be better for me. Um, so I switched to active duty and no regrets. I mean, just, you know, I, I got deployed. I was in Desert Storm. I was in Bosnia. I did support missions for Somalia. We were in Egypt, I was stationed in Korea. Um, and then I switched halfway through my career uh, to AGR, which is Active Guard Reserve. Um, it's like back then, it was like the best kept secret in the military. Uh, you were active duty, but you were with the reserves or National Guard. And I ended up. Not a bad York. way to go. Not a bad way to go. No. Um, and I ended up in New York City. Uh, I was there for September 11th, where I broke my neck and got a medical discharge. Um, and that was that was like the, you know, but I, I wasn't one of those, you know, some people will stay in like, in like two or three duty assignments in their whole career. I've known people that have stayed in like one place in their whole career. Um, I did 11 duty assignments in 14 years. I was everywhere. I, I was constantly volunteering to go places and try new things and um, be with stand-up units that were standing up. I mean... Whatever the military wanted me to do, I went, I did it. You know, I never refused uh, any opportunity to try something different. I just go back to September 11th for a minute, if I could. Yeah. You know, I don't know personally. Well, I know some civilians, some colleagues who lived through that. Uh, you know, they, they, they've talked about it. Some of them do. Some of them don't. It's very real because they were you know, on Wall Street when the planes hit. But, um, you know, how real did your service get to you during that time? Let's, let's, just, let's just start there if we could. Um, very real. Um, I was with the National New York National Guard, 1st and 69th Infantry down in New York City. Um, I was actually, I had just moved back to New York a month earlier, hadn't even signed into my unit yet, um, waiting for my AGR orders for my new unit um, when it all happened. And I was, I was down there, my unit, I mean, my unit was down there a long time. I was down there personally for 36 days. Um, I actually broke my neck on September 13th when the front of the American Express building was coming down. And I was so busy getting people out of the area um, because we weren't doing like parts of the unit and parts of other units were doing like bridge patrol and, and uh, you know, the tunnels and the airports and uh, the ports and everything else like that. Uh, the headquarters group, there was actually a group of us that were at ground zero. Um, and we were assisting with the bucket brigade I got a picture on my Facebook page somewhere uh, somebody took and, and you can see me um, in the pile helping to search through the rubble. Um, and it was very, you know, I, I tell people when they ask me what it's like and I say, well, if I took all my combat experience from Iraq and Bosnia, um, if I took all of that and the missions we did in Sinai and Egypt and everything, I was like, all of that wouldn't compare to the first day of being down there because it, it's different when you're a soldier. 
and I, and I say that not to take anything away from first responders, but it's different when you're a soldier because, especially if you're a combat soldier, if you've been to war, um, you're used to seeing that overseas. And at the end of the day, when the mission is done, you go home. But there was nowhere for us to go. We were home. This was our home. Um, and we, we had to give up our armory as a shelter. So we lived um, for the first like 20 something days, we slept in the doorways of the abandoned buildings. We slept in Battery Park on the benches because the city wouldn't let us set up tents, uh, sleeping tents. Um, and we were just on state active orders. We weren't federalized. It, it shook me for a long time, um, you know, and I was still in service. So we weren't allowed to apply for World Trade Center benefits the first time around. Um, we weren't allowed to join in any of the lawsuits or, or get any of the money that was coming out of the World Trade Center. Um, you know, and it was also hard because every year, you know, they're thanking people. And the truth is that anybody who's watched the broadcast, very rarely do they mention the National Guard, but we were there. Um, we were part of that. We were part of what's going on. So I had a really hard time with it for a long time. Um, I worked with a lot of people to try to get recognition for the National Guard at the World Trade Center. Uh, we finally, on the 20th anniversary, the New York governor um, signed a proclamation recognizing the National Guard for their service. And I was part of that. I was part of that, getting that recognition. It was, it was a proud moment for me. Um, General Rice uh, called me out by name and recognized me for the sacrifice that I put in to make that happen. Uh, and it was, it was important because it wasn't just a proclamation those National Guard that were down there that normally wouldn't qualify because they never deployed on active duty um, were given active duty status in New York State, which means that they get the tax credit on their houses and they have um, retirement benefits if they're city employees. Um, so that was a big deal uh, for me right there. Let me ask you this. Um... You're watching what's going on in Ukraine right now, right? Do you have any, does the feeling of your home resonate with you, what the Ukrainians are trying to do right now against Russia? Does that, does that resonate with you at all or, or give you any pause for thought? It does. And, you know, it also, um, it changes some of my thoughts from when I was in Desert Storm um, and when I was in Bosnia. I think more with Bosnia. Uh, a lot of people don't understand what what Bosnia was about. It wasn't like a, you know, it's not like Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, we don't talk about it in the same way. Um, but it does, though. You know, it, it's it's um, it's hard to describe the feeling of wanting to protect your home and feeling like you failed. Um, not because you lost or not because you won, but because it's happening in the first place. Right. Um, you know, and 
I think the hardest part for me right now is the same kind of things I saw during um, the World Trade Center and even after. Um, so many people politicizing something that's really not political, you know. Um, the, the problem is that we as a people and, and all people throughout the world um, tend to forget our history. Yeah. We continue to repeat our history over and over again um, because we tend to, well, that wasn't in my lifetime. It would never happen in my lifetime. You know, um, something like this could never happen or it wouldn't happen if this happened. It doesn't matter the reason why. You know, we, we search for excuses or reasons. And at the end of the day, none of that matters. What matters is that people are hurting, people are suffering, and they shouldn't be, you know. Um, I mean, honestly, if I, if I wasn't so disabled, I'd probably be one of those Americans over there right now helping the train, uh, you know, troops over there to defend themselves and, and to protect their homes. Um, because it matters. Well, you know, you you, you served during 9-11 and it, you, you broke your neck. Uh, did that lead to you getting separated from the Army? How was that? Yes. Um, I got a medical, well, I didn't really get a medical discharge. I got, okay. I got put on a medical hold. You know, it, it's, it's changed so much over the years. And, and right. not saying soldiers don't still slip through the cracks, they do. Um, I got released from the military because I couldn't deploy with my unit back to Iraq. And they put me on a medical hold. I was sitting at home and I got a letter in the mail one day saying, you're no longer in the military. Go to the VA. And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, you know, what am I supposed to do with the VA? Like, like, you know, shouldn't this been handled before you said goodbye? Have a nice day. Um, there was no instruction. It was just like, okay, thank you for your service. Now you're out. You're, you're no longer in. Um, and at that point, um, and if you don't know, like it's different with the National Guard than it is active duty. Oh, really? Yeah. When you're in the National Guard, AGR or not, when they put you on a medical hold, you don't get points. You don't get paid. And you have to go every week in your uniform and sign into the unit but you don't get points, you don't get paid, you don't get travel pay, you don't get any of that. But you're expected to be there every week to sign in and then go home. So I was at, I was at a little over 12 and a half years when they put me on a medical hold. Those two years, you know, had they put me in a, re, in a rear unit or had they allow me to drill for points, I could have gotten my 15 year retirement. Um, but that didn't work out. And so there I was, you know, basically um, couch surfing, staying at friend's house, family house, wherever I could stay, because um, I couldn't make any money. You're not allowed to work because you're on a medical hold. Um, and they never told me to go to the VA. They were just like, you know, you're on medical hold, you can't work, you can't get paid, you can't drill, you can't do anything. Um, so I did that for two years. And then one day I just got a letter saying, you're no longer in the military. Yeah. Oh, I mean, your transition is not like 
no transition is normal, but it's not like you go to tap, sit in those boring classes and then go home. There was a lot of upheaval around your time and you're still in New York now. So what was the transition experience like when you finally realized, hey, I'm out and now I've got to like reboot, retool or figure out what to do next? So um, like I said, the system's a little bit different now. When I went through the VA at that time, um, I had appointments every day for like three and a half months. So you can't work because you got to make your appointments because you're trying to get your benefits. You know, you're trying to, to, to figure out what's going on. So you have a choice. Either you go to the VA and you do what the VA wants you to do, or you go to work and you try to squeeze the VA in there somewhere. Um, and at first they were denying me everything. Um, you know, one of the one of the hardest things was, as I said earlier, we were on state orders for the World Trade Center. Now, luckily, I was on active duty before that, and I had issues from active duty, but we were on state orders from the World Trade Center. And when you're in the National Guard, you can't get benefits at the VA unless you were injured while on federal orders. And you have one year from the time that they put you on a medical hold or they release you to apply for those benefits. So there was that situation going on. Um, and again, I didn't have a job. I wasn't working. I was, I was using my GI benefits to go back to school some, um, but it's not like the GI bill that it became later on. Um, you know, the post 9-11 GI Bill, it wasn't that yet. Uh, so I was, you know, they didn't really have this housing money like they do now, which I'm glad for. Um, so I was just going to school. I had no housing money, very little book money. Um, you know, I wasn't working. I had no money coming in. I was struggling. I was drinking a lot. Um, you know, I, I sat in my room, in the dark room a lot. Uh, I was angry. I was angry at the world. I was angry at everybody. Um, and I took it out on anybody who crossed my path at the time. You know, it, it's, if you haven't been there, it's hard to explain what it's like to have your whole world go from, you know, running 100 miles per hour to you know, you're lucky if you get two miles an hour. Um, it's hard to explain that. So I, I was angry all the time during that time. So you're in all this upheaval. You're in the New York area. Um, what started getting you out of it? I mean, you, you're a member of the VFW now. You've got your cooking show going. What started getting you out of this valley you were in? Um, so actually, it was the VFW. Or really? VFW. You remember, yeah. I was at the VA one day and I was screaming and yelling at the woman behind the counter about my benefits. Like you've seen a million times if you've been in the VA a million times, you've seen that one veteran at the counter like yelling and screaming about they're not getting something they're supposed to get. Um, I see it, right? And, and part of me understands it because it's like, okay, you know what? I can't log into my healthy vet, which happened this morning. I'm like, you got to be kidding me again. I'm just done. 
And then I feel bad for the poor woman behind the counter who's, they're trying to do their job. They really are. And, you know, she's been told, you got to take the brunt of this. It's no fun for anybody. No. And, and you know, it's, it's easy to blame the person in front of you. Right, uh, right. But the issue is not the person in front of you. The issue is some of the policies. And the VA has changed over the years. I mean, right. it's got dramatic changes. If you haven't been in the VA, I mean, I've been going to the VA since uh, this is 20 years I've been going to the VA. Um, it has changed dramatically over the years. But I was in that VA one day just yelling at this woman behind the counter and this guy in a VFW shirt grabs me and he goes, no, no, that's not the way we do it. And in New York City, from where the VA is on 21st Street, it's about five or six blocks to the veteran service office. And he walks me down to the veteran service officer and he sits me in front of somebody. He goes, this guy right here is going to get you your benefits. He's going to get you taken care of. He's going to make sure that you have what you need so that you don't have to be doing that anymore. Um, never asked me if I was eligible for the VFW. Never asked me if I wanted to join. Um, you know, he just simply gave me his phone number and said, and if you don't get the help, call me. Um, so... Again, I, I was. That's weird. That's weird because, you know, I'm I'm not eligible for the VFW. But when I talk to most VFW people, if you're not eligible for membership, it's almost like okay, I'll see you later. Bye. Thanks. So the fact this happened is really, in my experience, unusual, David. Actually, um, it shouldn't be. It's not supposed to be, and it shouldn't be. Um, I got lucky. I, I was mentored by a lot of good VFW people and I've helped so many vets over the years that are not eligible for the VFW or that didn't want to join the VFW. Don't get me wrong. I would love for all of them who are eligible to join the VFW um, and it's important, but the, the truth of the matter is our, you know, our motto is honor the dead by helping the living. It doesn't say honor the dead by only helping those that went to combat and served with you and belong to the organization. You know, it, it, it's much more than that. Um, and this gentleman, um, you know, he he doesn't he didn't he doesn't like his name being put out there. Um, but he's, you know, over the years he he's very modest, quiet kind of guy, and he passed away some time ago. Um, he was a volunteer service officer. He would help veterans get their benefits by getting them in touch with service officers and helping them to file their paperwork and process their paperwork. Um, and he did that for many veterans in New York. Um, you know, so when I got better, when I was doing better, I wanted to do that. Like, I wanted to be that person that people could turn to and say, you know, I need help. I need this, or I need that, or can you put me in touch with this? Or, um, and in New York, I, I basically on Long Island, I became that person. You know, even today, I still get phone calls from people in New York going, Dave, can you connect me with a person that can help me with this? Or do you know a person that could do that? Um, you know, and that, that, fuels me you know that keeps me going because 
uh, I know that I'm honoring that veteran that helped me. Well, what was it like? You, you, you start getting some help, you start going through this, and when did you become a member of the VFW in New York? So I joined the VFW 16 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But in the beginning, I wasn't very active. I was still kind of getting my life together. Um, and I was teaching overseas for a while. So I was home in the summers and I really wasn't here during the school year. I was off teaching overseas. Um, truthfully, I just wanted to be away from New York at the time. I didn't um, want to be around everything that was going on. I was still hurting, you know, inside. Um, I was still drinking a lot. I was still partying a lot. Um, so so where, where and when did you find cooking? Because you were doing cooking, in, in my memory, well before you launched the show, did anything else. So, so where did cooking come into all this? I've always been into cooking. Um, so my, my mother, God rest her soul, um, my mother was the worst cook in the world. I mean, she could, she could, we had running jokes. Like my mother could scrub cornflakes. Okay. Seriously. Like my, I, my grandmother lived in Queens and if you've never been to Queens, New York, in the old part of Queens, New York, all the driveways are kind of slanted. Um, it's higher in the backyards. Don't ask me why, but all the driveways are kind of slanted. And so we were out barbecuing one day and my mother put the grill the wrong way and she put the hot dogs on and they went rolling off the grill and down the driveway. So we used to laugh and joke that my mother's cooking was so bad the food would run away. Um, so when I was 10, my grandmother took me into the kitchen and she said, you know, all you Rogers men, you all marry the worst cooks in the world. Uh, you know, so you better learn how to cook. Otherwise, you're going to starve when you grow up. And she taught me a few things. Um, but over the years, like traveling with the military to different countries, I had the chance to experience some of the most amazing food. You know, I mean, if you grew up in New York, you've experienced a lot of food. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of places like that, but I'm talking from my experience growing in New York. I mean, you know, there's Chinatown, there's Little Italy, and, and there's the Jewish section of the town, and there's the Irish section of the town. And we had like these little pockets, you know, and there's a Polish area. and a, um, So you experience a lot of different food. But when you travel to other countries, and you're not just eating the food, but you're eating the food the way that they cook it traditionally. Um, and you're experiencing all this. And I was like, I want to learn this stuff. Like, this is great. Like, I would love to have this dish, you know, back at home. Um, because you realize, like, when you're in the military and you're traveling around uh, and you're in different areas, there's certain things you can't get. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be able to experience, like, you know, down here where I am in Tennessee now, you're not going to find Mongolian barbecue. Um, there is a place, it's in Memphis, I think, is one of the places. Um, but you're not really going to experience Mongolian barbecue or Korean barbecue or hot pot, you know, or 
you're not going to find like a Hungarian place that does like goulash or so. You know, there's a lot of things you're not going to find. And I was stationed in Savannah and I was stationed on Colorado and other different places. And again, you're not always going to find the, all these different types of food. Um, so I had an interest to learn. Like I wanted to learn all this. When I got active with the VFW, and anybody who knows, with military, with veterans, um, you know, you say free food, everybody shows up. People love coming for food. <laughs> you know? I think that's everybody. Everybody just loves coming for free food, right? Um, so I, I've been cooking with the VFW for a long time. Um, you know, helping with parties and stuff like that. Well, that's, that's what I remember is Commander Walker, Commander Brian Walker, who's the state commander currently for the VFW in Tennessee, was like, hey, he's been cooking for the VFW in New York for years. And I'm like, right. okay, I mean, if you can do that, you, you're, you, you're in pretty good company. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been doing it for years. Um, but then what happened was the, the way, so now the show, Cooking with a Veteran, um, that stemmed out of the pandemic. And a lot of people don't realize, and a lot of people didn't think about it, you know, a lot of issues arise when the pandemic arrived. Um, first of all, you know, the VAs, the clinics were closed. And so veterans were having issues getting to their appointments or seeing their doctors. And the VA automatically went to telehealth, which they've been doing for years, but not with everybody, you know. Um, and their issue was, oh, we're going to give iPads to all those veterans who need to telehealth. And I said, okay, you know, the problem is, you know, internet is a problem. Uh, a lot oh. of these old don't have internet. Well, not only that, did you read the article where the, the, the government oversight committee found out that most of that iPad money was wasted or never got, the, the devices never got to the veterans anyway? It was crazy. Right. You know, and well, some of it was the veterans didn't want it, but then they didn't know how to get. Well, this is the other thing. So they are offering the, the iPad to like a World War II veteran or a Korean War veteran. And they're going, I don't know how to use this. So how am I? So the, the, they were like, OK, we could do online training. The veteran was like, yeah, but I don't even know how to set it up to get the online training. Like, how am I supposed to do this? You know, um, I. And, and again, I was on the front line, you know. I was that one veteran who was not sitting at home. I was that one veteran who was, you know, sitting in somebody's front lawn, showing them how to set up their iPad to do telehealth. Um, and then, you know, then we had the issue with the SVA and the SVA was saying, you know, um, my GI bill is gonna run out and I still have to take these classes. And so, we ran to our congressman, like, we got to get these classes extended, you know, the GI Bill extended for this period of time. Or if they need, we need to get them voc rehab money so they could take the labs that they need to take. Because if you were in the medical field, there were certain labs you need to take. And they only do those labs during the summer, but their GI Bill was running out. So it's like, you know, all these little issues. And then I got a call, like the third day into the pandemic, I got a call from this World War II veteran. He goes, Listen, um, the food pantry told me that they're no longer cooking food. 
they had to close their kitchens. So they're only, they're going to deliver me cans. And he goes, what the hell am I going to do with cans? I'm, I'm 94 years old. What am I cooking at 94 years old? I can barely stand up. Um, and there was a group, uh, you know, we knew them all, a, a group of World War II and Korean War veterans. Sorry about that. Um, I'm going to turn that off, sorry. Uh, but so, yeah, there was a group of Korean War veterans and, and World War II veterans um, that were complaining that they weren't getting their food. So I started taking, I would go to their house pick up the boxes of canned food or box food or frozen food, whatever it was. And I was taking it home and I was cooking, you know, and I was cooking sometimes 12 hours a day. I was cooking for 20 World War II, Korean War, and a few Vietnam War veterans and their widows. Oh, wow. You know? um, so that's where all this started was I was out there doing this. Uh, so I'm doing this. I'm also doing coffee with a veteran daily yep. on, on uh, you know, Zoom, connecting veterans. I mean, we had veterans coming from 11 different states for this program. Um, so I'm doing that. I'm cooking all day. Um, and then some of the veterans were like, you know, can you share this? You know, my son would love to learn how to cook this and or my daughter would learn like to learn how to make this or you know um because sometimes their kids would come over and they would taste the food and be like oh this is great where'd you get it from this is not the usual food you get from the food bank like you know um so i started making videos to share and i wanted to focus on a lot of one pot dishes a lot of simple to make easy to make you know, because whether you're older or you work all the time, um, you know, you want dinner to be good, but you want it to be easy. You don't want to be standing in front of your stove for eight hours. Um, so I started focusing on that with the cooking show. You get this cooking show started. So you're you're in New York. You're, you're getting the cooking show going. I'm seeing it launch online. I talked to Commander Walker. And then all of a sudden you're leaving New York and going to Tennessee. How did that get going? Um, so the, the move to Tennessee was, it was more of a divide with New York. Um, don't get me wrong, I love New York. I love all the veteran organizations. Um, but it gets frustrating sometimes, you know, you're, you're trying to do stuff and you find in life that there's going to be people who are against whatever you're doing, not because you're doing something bad or because you're a bad person, but because either they can't do it, you know, or they don't like that you're getting recognized for doing it. And it, it just became, you know, during the pandemic that got highlighted you know, more than anything, um, you know, when you're locked down all the time and all you hear are complaints all the time, you know, um, I'm not saying that's all you hear, but you're hearing tons of complaints all the time. You can get burnt out. 
you know, it doesn't matter what your intentions are. You can get burnt out. And so, so, so you, you, you pick up, you, you move to Tennessee. I have to think there was kind of a different culture in Tennessee than New York, Dave. <laughs> and I mean, I, cause I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in the South and out West before I got to the Northeast and they're all different, but New York's its own little world. What was that like when the pace of life slowed down a bit? So it's not the pace of life so much that bothers me. Um, you know, I I didn't realize how different it would be. And I'm not talking about the pace of life. Like, I've lived in, like, Savannah, Georgia. Okay, okay. I've lived in Colorado. I mean, I've been stationed in, like, remote parts of Korea, you know, um, but the difference was I was in the military, you know, and you don't realize how different life is in these areas when you're not in the military, <laughs> you know, it's a different life because you're not around your brothers and sisters all the time, you know, you're not around, um, you know, it, and I say that like, there's lots of veterans here and I'm connected with the veterans here. But they work, they got families, you know. It's not like we go to the same job every day and see each other every single day. Um, everybody has their own life and their own thing going on. Um, and sometimes they're out of town or whatever else like that. So it's, it's not like being together with your brothers and sisters in the military where you're around each other all the time. And there's things that you can get because you're on a military base that you can't really get, like, when you're not on a military base. <laughs> um, so the biggest struggle I found being down here is um, trying to get certain things uh, that I'm used to having. You know, if you've ever been to it, like a super, I tell people like, if you've ever been to a supermarket in New York, like you walk into like, you know, New York, New Jersey, you know, Chicago, whatever, you walk into a supermarket, like the first three aisles are nothing but produce. And I thought it was like that around the world, but it's not. Um, I walked into a supermarket down here and like the first quarter of the two aisles are the produce. And I'm like, wait a minute, is this supposed to be the country? Like where's all the produce? <laughs> um, you know, people either grow or they go to the farmer's market or, um, you know, so that's part of it. Like, I can't just shop in one store. You know, I have to shop in like two or three different stores to get the things that I need. <laughs> uh, so that's been a big culture shock for me. And I also found my New York sarcasm doesn't really work too well down here in Tennessee. <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave. But you're you're there, and and the reason it, it was really striking to me is at least from outward appearances or just outward observation is before we met in April at the state commander's event in Collierville, you moved to Tennessee and through the VFW, it seems like you were able to plug in to other veterans and show people your, your cooking powers and your show and, and not be moving to a different location, but isolated moving to a different location and, you know, having a, a way in, so to speak. Is, is that, did I read that correctly? 
Yeah, so I mean, this is one of the great things about the VFW or any veteran service organization. Um, you know, it's easy to connect. Um, you know, I got tired of, I, I isolated a lot before I joined the VFW and, and before I got active. And so I was, you know, self-isolating. Um, I think that's why when the pandemic hit, it wasn't as hard for me because I already went through like five years of self-isolating <laughs> on my own. Um, but by that point, I was already embedded in the veteran community, you know, and I knew what I need to do um, to remain active, to stay that way. Um, and when I came down here, I had a plan. You know, my plan was to continue my cooking show, um, continue to help veterans. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources that veterans down here don't have that they have in other areas. And I knew that before I even moved down here because I've been to, I've, over the years, I've visited VFWs across the country, you know, and I've been to areas where some VFWs are very embedded in their community and have a lot going on. And I've been to other areas where people are like, there's a VFW here? Really? I didn't know there was still a VFW here. Um, and it's not, you know, it, it's kind of the stigma that people, when they think about organizations like the VFW, the American Legion, you know, they think of it as just a bunch of old guys sitting around drinking. In fact, I just had this talk with a, a young veteran. He's in his 30s. And he's, you know, he once joined the VFW and then he walked away from the VFW. And he's like, well, you know, I got to be honest with you. A lot of VFWs I visit, just a bunch of old guys sitting around drinking and smoking and talking war stories. And I'm not saying that's not part of it. You know, that camaraderie, that getting together and being able to joke and, and talk about, you know, oh, remember in boot camp when we did this and how stupid that was? And that's part of it. Um, but if you don't go to meetings, if you don't go to events, if you don't go to conferences and conventions, you don't really understand what the VFW is actually about. Yeah. You know, you miss the big picture. And there's so much that this organization does, you know, at the local level, you know, you see the grassroots at your local level and you see what the members of your post does. But then there's the district and, you know, they do things. Um, and then there's the state and they do things. And then you go to national. Um, and when you see the programs in its totality and everything that they do, I mean, you know, just the um, sports clips help the hero scholarship. You know, I think it's like $8.9 million they've given out in scholarships to veterans who needed money to continue their education. You know, the unmet needs, I think they're up to like $20 million in the unmet needs program. Uh, the Voice of Democracy, the Patriots Pen, there's so many things um, that the VFW does. And when you realize that, you know, and you realize you can be part of that, but it's up to you to be part of that. So. So you're, you're doing all this 
And, and, you know, I really like the fact that you're highlighting the VFW and their, you know, involvement in your life and how you're able to advocate through the VFW. You know, as we wind this down, talk to me about the cooking show. You know, when does it air? What are you trying to do with each show? And what's the feedback and support been like? So, so funny. When I started this, like I said, I was just shooting a few videos and I was a novice. Like I had no idea what it meant to put together a video for YouTube or something else like that. And you're on the air. You know what I'm talking about. Like people's attention spans are like that big, you know? So you're trying to reduce what you do down to basically 15 minutes. Um, and when you're a one man operation, that's not easy all the time. Um, so I thought I was going to do this, like, just, you know, oh, I'll put together like 30, 40 videos. Cause I thought the pandemic would be over in no time. Well, I'll put together like 30, 40 videos. I'll be done. I, I won't have more than 30 recipes. Like who the hell has more than 30 recipes, right? Uh, here I am. I'm six episodes away from my 100th episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, amazing accomplishment. I can't overstate that enough. A, a lot of shows veteran or otherwise quit at 18 that's the average yeah so i congratulations um, thank you so i as i got into it um i learned things like i learned that i have to prep everything before time um i kind of run through it in my head um uh, before i come on the show um you know i do uh my sound checks and everything like an hour before I start the show. Um, you know, I've got two Mevo cameras for my production. I had one and then my sponsor, Brian Walker. Thank you, Brian. Um, Brian Walker gave me another Mevo camera to help me do the duel. Um, so I could focus on the pan and the food and focus on me and the chopping and stuff. So that's great. Um, so it's grown, and as it grew, when I was about a year and a half into it, I said, you know what, I want to do more with this. I want to take this further, because um, clearly there's a place to go with this. People are still watching. Um, I don't have a lot of followers, but I have a lot of people who watch my show. I have more people who watch my show than follow my show. <laughs> Isn't that something? Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I have, same thing, I just have to commiserate with you for a second a lot of a lot a lot of people who watched it but clicking that follow or like button now is really hard to to do i don't know what it is i got like i think like on youtube i got like 20 followers right? i've got yeah i've got like 300 followers on my facebook um but i'll have between 50 and 100 people watch the episode you know, and on YouTube, they'll tell you how many people, like, on one episode, I had, like, 87 people, like, watch the episode, but I've got, like, 20 followers. It's, like, really weird. Um, and it's not about that for me. You know, don't get me wrong. I would love to have more followers and, and build it up. Um, but what I'm focusing on now, what I'd like to do is build up the program to help give back to, like, unmet needs, um, so I'm finishing up. I'm, I have a couple more recipes, um, for my cookbook. So I'm finishing up my cookbook. Um, I'm excited about this. 
because it's going to have not just the recipes, but a few stories, um, some tips, some tricks, things I've learned over the years, um, photos of me in a kilt for those that are interested. <laughs> um, but just really talking about my journey um, with Cooking with a Veteran. And part of that money that I raised from the cookbooks is going to go to help unmet needs. Um, I'm starting to get sponsors, which is great because, as you know, with any show like this, there's expense, there's cost. You know, um, right now I'm a one-man operation. I'm doing this on my own. All the editing, all the everything, you know, the shopping, the cooking, the preparing, everything. Um, and it takes a lot. I mean, to film that 15-minute show, it's about four hours to film that 15-minute show. Yeah, that um, sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of work goes into each episode. I mean, would I love to do this every day? Yes. Could I afford to do it every day? No. <laughs> you know, um, and it gets expensive, you know, and I'm still cooking for at-home veterans. Um, so a lot of the food that I cook goes to, um, homebound veterans who are in need. And I get those names through veteran service officers and organizations and things like that. Um, who reach out to me, and I help those that I can. Um, and it's about sharing, you know. So I've had I have some great sponsors, Oscar Mike Radio, of course. Well, that that, that that was one of the things. I see my whole through the camera. Oh, 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 that's oh. The one. That's the army side. You got to show them the other side. Oh yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. The cookie oh, with well, the. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. We'll get this right. Yeah, taking with the veteran coin. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 from going to Tennessee when I met uh, Dave Rogers, um, you know, there's an opportunity to contribute to the cause, and got this cool. Like I've had some challenge coins before, but this one, by far, ladies and gentlemen, is one that I just treasure because it really encompasses what you are doing, and it, it came across like, like this is cool. I remember this one. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that I really, you know, connected with you on the different levels is you're taking something that you did, that you've done all your life, and now are using it after you served to serve again. I think that's really powerful, Dave. Yeah, and that's, you know, and I was inspired in part by, again, by the VFW. You know, we have the hashtag still serving campaign um, going on. Um, my old VFW post where I was commander was the first hashtag still serving post. Um, you know, I've been recognized and honored by the VFW for that over the years. And I appreciate the support, you know, but I use that support to, again, to grow this program, to continue to help veterans. Um, you know, like I said, I have some great sponsors, the Tennessee VFW Foundation, Master Mike Radio, uh, Brian Walker, um, some of my other veterans, Scott Van Tassel and Belinda, uh, Belinda Cole, who's an auxiliary member. Um, you know, so I, I have lots of great sponsors and more sponsors coming along. Um, and again, that's all to uh, grow the program, you know, so that I can continue to give back to veterans um, and make sure that we're doing the job that we're supposed to be doing um, so anybody wants to sponsor me, they can reach out to me. I'm also raffling off. Um, I have the, uh, 
cooking with a veteran K-Bar knife, engraved K-Bar knife that I'm raffling off. I'm excited about that. Um, you know, so there's lots of things going on right now with the show and it's in the, in the stages. Um, and I'm glad to be able to do this. You know, unfortunately I can't work because of my disabilities. I'm at the VA two, three days a week. It's really hard to find a job when you're at the VA all the time. Um, but you can check out Cooking with the Veteran on Facebook or YouTube. It's and when, on did you, when did you, okay, yeah, when did you show air? Wednesdays at 11. Um, okay. If I'm going to change it, I tell people, but I wanted to pick a day that, you know, um, Wednesdays are a perfect day for me because they don't mess with the weekends. Uh, <laughs> you know, usually in the weekends, the VFW has like 12 different things going on. Um, conferences, conventions, meetings, whatever else like that. Um, so it's a nice daytime kind of thing, but you can always watch the episodes on my show or on YouTube, um, also, um, and every week I try to bring something unique and different, uh, to people. I want them to experience some of the things I've experienced over the years, um, you know, and try new stuff. You know, there's people who say to me, oh, I, I, I wouldn't like that. I can't try that. I wouldn't like it. I'm like, have you tasted it? You know? Um, or they've had it, but they've had it like, you know, it's like going to China and having real Chinese food. Then you realize the Chinese food you eat back in America is nothing like real Chinese, (laughs) you know. Well, I just have loved watching the story unfold. Um, you, You know, I appreciate your production value because... I'm sitting there watching the multi-camera angles and I'm like, okay, this is, this is somebody who's really, you know, put a lot of effort into this and you see the people happy to eat your food and do this. So I'm going to have all the links to your show and your sponsorship links to, um, you know, the people you support and people who support you in the Oscar Mac radio show post. This is going to be on the website and everywhere else, ladies and gentlemen. And as he's counting up to 100, I'm counting up to 300, and it's just an example, again, of a veteran who continues to serve, and I'm so glad the VFW is a part of this story. And, you know, to all my, um, I say this all the time, and, and I mean it, to all my brothers and sisters out there, station overseas or deployed somewhere, be safe, come home soon, you know, you're in our thoughts and our prayers, um, you know, we hope to see you home soon with your family. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I just want to thank you, Dave, for coming on. Is you know, Dave Rogers cooking with a veteran, uh, Army National Guard veteran. And as we say in Oscar Mike Radio, Dave, mission flight, you are in action. And I want to thank you very much. Hoorah. <laughs> Hoorah. Well, thank you. We're going to keep this going. And I can't wait to be with Dave next time in person eating his food. This is Travis on Oscar Mike Radio, and we are out. I want to thank you for joining me and watching Oscar Mike Radio. Now go to OscarMikeRadio.com and click shop to check out all the cool merchandise from Authentically American. All proceeds go to veteran service organizations. We are Mission in Flight.